0: Singleness is a rising trend among young Americans. Our birth rate is at record lows, and marriage is no longer a priority in our culture. Sadly, I believe the church has significantly contributed to this alarming trend, and today we'll talk all about how an overemphasis on 1 Corinthians 7 has led a generation away from God's good design. All this and more, so stick around. Welcome to Forge and Anvil, where we hammer out uncomfortable conversations about culture, theology, and politics to sharpen ourselves for the race set before us. My name is Connor. I am host of this podcast. I am a husband, a father, and a follower of Christ, and I'm doing my best to represent him well each and every day. I'm joined, as always, by my regular co-host, Michael Aper. So, Michael,
1: say hi. Hey, friends. I'm a student of scripture and a... God, friend, gentlemen, trying to see the righteousness of God restored to the people of God.
0: <clears throat> Great. And joining us, we have uh, Master Michael Clary, is what we were uh, jokingly referring to him uh, prior to recording. So, uh, Michael, go ahead and say hi and tell our audience a little bit about yourself.
2: Uh, thanks for having me with you guys, uh, Connor and Michael, and everyone else that's uh, joining us live. Uh, my name is Michael Clary. I am a church planter pastor so church planter when i started the church back in 2010 is when we officially launched i've pastored this church for 14 years since then and uh, we're in a college neighborhood so we see a lot of singleness a lot of uh, a lot of traffic come through and uh, dealing with kind of on the leading edge of uh, issues of sexuality as it plays out in our culture i get to i get to see that a little bit in advance i think before it hits mainstream everywhere else uh, so singleness definitely is a it's a it's a really pressing topic in the church, and I'm glad to be here to talk with you guys uh, to hopefully be of some some help for other people. Thanks Excellent. for having
0: me. Of course, glad to have you. Before we get started, uh, feel free to share this episode far and wide. We are at the mercy of YouTube algorithms, so uh, it really does help us when you share the video and repost this. Uh, we are live on X rumble and youtube so join us in the chats uh x it seems like we don't really get your chats um there is a new chat function there but head on over to youtube and rumble we'll probably be more likely to see it uh but feel free to repost it on to x as well uh it does help us out um we also do have a special announcement so uh after uh, uh, a long while of prayerful consideration we have officially launched a substack so this is the forge and anvil.substack.com so this is where you can actually uh, look through and you'll see our podcast is all in one uh, neat web page for you to scroll through uh, there's also going to be some writings that we will be posting periodically so i will be posting some writings uh, michael may be doing some as well when he has time when he's not uh, too busy with his schooling which is uh, Uh, A feat in itself, but uh, we hope that we can provide some additional content for you guys. We do have a paid uh, membership option for you guys there, $3 a month. Uh, You know, we really, uh, Michael and I are both uh, busy husbands and we're pursuing uh, many different projects right now. And so as a result, we don't have a lot of time to give you a whole bunch of extra content. So we figured a $3 uh pledge from you is just your way of supporting the show and letting us know that you appreciate what we do and that you believe in it and we greatly appreciate that support and uh uh, we feel that's right around the price that we can ask without uh, being able to promise you regular extra content, but we do hope to have some uh, as well when we can. So uh, be on the lookout for that, and we appreciate any support that you uh, feel called to give. So uh, that being said, be sure to check out last week's episode we did with Joshua Abatoy. It was a whole lot of great fun. We talked all about the border crisis, so um, be sure to check that out as well. Anyways, without further ado, I wanted to go ahead and talk all about uh, this thread that Michael Clary actually posted on his Twitter. So uh, again, we'll be referring to uh, Michael uh, as pastor Clary for the remainder of this episode, uh, just to make things easier on you, especially those who don't have the video to help clarify which Michael's speaking. Uh, honest, but, uh, I might
1: forget and just Michael, <laughs> <but>.
0: <laughs> Michael squared tonight, folks. So yeah. bear with us. <laughs> Good uh, but uh Uh, Pastor Clary, you did uh, post this thread on X all about uh, singleness and uh, some alarming uh, and fascinating stats that you posted. So I just wanted to go ahead and read through this thread bit by bit because you had a lot of content here and you, of course, cited your sources. So you did all the heavy lifting for us. So we'll use this as a jumping off point on our discussion. So either of you, feel free to pause me at any point if you want to jump in uh, and comment on something specific before we wrap up the whole thread. So uh, here we go. First off, the U.S. marriage rate is at an all-time low. Consequently, U.S. birth rates are at historic lows, well below replacement rate. Men and women are lonely. 52% report feeling lonely. 47% report their relationships with others are not meaningful. 57% of Americans say they eat all their meals alone. 73% of millennials and Gen Z say they feel lonely. People of higher income levels report greater loneliness. About one-third of all U.S. adults are currently single. 47% of all 18- to 29-year-olds are single. 34% of all 18- to 29-year-old women are single. 63% of all 18- to 29-year-old men are single. Most singles say their dating lives aren't going well and it's difficult to find people to date. Further, the dating scene has gotten more difficult and risky in the last 10 years. 57% of singles have given up looking for a partner altogether. Most older single women are not looking to date. Younger singles just don't prioritize dating. They don't feel any social pressure to find a partner either. Single women are having a hard time finding a man who meets their standards. Why is this? There could be a number of factors at play here, but there's one in particular that stands out to me. In general, women are attracted to men they can look up to and respect. This means women are attracted to men who are older, taller, more successful, and more healthy than them. This principle is called hypergamy. It has been universally observed across different times and cultures. We generally speak of this as marrying up. The most stable relationships exhibit modest hypergamy. Therefore, as women have become more successful, the number of men who exceed them by these measures has shrunk. This has led to an increasing number of women who are successful by the world's measures, but who have a decreasing number of men they find attractive. Many men feel overlooked and unnecessary. Male attractiveness is driven by status markers, and men will typically compete with other men to attain status and attract women. But in the modern world, women themselves have become part of these status competitions. Young women hold 1.6 million more college degrees than men. Women outnumber men in the college-educated workforce, and 4 in 10 mothers are breadwinners for their households. This is increasingly becoming the norm. As colleges and marketplaces increasingly cater to feminine sensibilities, lots of men are opting out and choosing more low-status career paths instead. As a result, the modern dating scene has shifted toward larger numbers of successful, college-educated, high-earning single women having to settle for lower-status men who are less successful, less educated, and earn less money. In other words, the hypergamy in the natural way the sexes have organized throughout history The modern world is forcing inverse hypergamy on the dating market. These relationships are less happy and less stable. This is at least a contributing factor to the attraction paradox. Men feel increasingly distressed. A husband experiences more psychological distress as his wife's income exceeds 40% of his, reaching its highest level when he is completely economically dependent on her income. Women feel increasingly unhappy. Despite the fact that, Women are more educated and earn more income than previous generations. Women across all demographic groups have become less happy in the past 50 years. The political factors in all this cannot be ignored. Young single men are trending more conservative. We've talked about that on the show before. Young single women are trending more liberal. Fewer people are willing to date or marry across the aisle. This is another factor driving a wedge between the sexes and complicating the modern dating scene. In fact, a near majority of singles report that voting Donald Trump is one of the top three relational deal breakers. Political affiliations also demonstrate some interesting trends in marriages. Republicans are more likely, sixty-seven percent, to get married than Democrats at forty-five percent. Republicans are less likely to get divorced than Democrats. Republicans are generally happier/satisfied at sixty-seven percent in their marriages. Than Democrats at 60%. Traditional lifestyles are correlated with greater personal happiness. Conservatives are more likely to raise mentally healthy teens. Devout Christian family men who attend church regularly are more loving husbands and more engaged fathers. Devout Christian family men also have the lowest rates of divorce and the lowest rates of domestic violence of any major group in America. What are we to make of all this? I have thoughts. I'll share them in a separate thread and of course, Pastor Cleary, we'll we'll talk more about some of the thoughts <clears> in your thread, and we'll just have you unpack them here instead of uh, reading through all of that. But obviously, there was a whole lot of thought crimes in uh, in that thread. Uh, a lot of things <laughs> that you are not supposed to notice. So, uh, first of all, Pastor Cleary, what were you uh, what were you originally going for when you were uh, doing this research, and what led you to post on X of all things? <laughs>
2: Yeah, just even as you're reading the through that thread, I'm I'm struck. I'm struck again by how fascinating and heartbreaking, uh, challenging it all is. As I mentioned before, my ministry context is in uh, close to a college, so we have we have always had a a large percentage of people that are in a uh, you know the their college students, young adults, just starting out with their careers, that sort of thing. And I've noticed this trend over the years that uh, people are not getting married as much. Um, Singleness is a big issue. So I I published my book last summer in June, and I cover such a wide variety of different topics in the book. But one of the surprises of the reactions to that book is how much people want to talk about singleness Um, of all the things that are in there i mean there's things like patriarchy and lgbtq and you know slamming on feminism and all that stuff but people want to talk about singleness um actually did an interview with tom askell on the founder's um sword and trial podcast and Mm -hmm. they and i ended up publishing a singleness mini book um that's that just today has been finalized and so it's just like this is a very urgent topic. And I was surprised of all the things that could be talked about. Singleness really stood out. And I think it's a good, it's a good entry point into the discussion that God made the world one way. And the way that God made the world is for our good and for his glory. And whenever we violate the created order, things will go poorly. Whenever we align ourselves and go with the created order, things typically will go well. And you see that in the data. So the things that were very obvious to our grandparents that a hundred years ago, it was just sort of culturally reinforced and generally understood is that you want a man who is a provider. So he needs to make enough money to provide for himself and a number of dependents, his wife being uh, one of those that depends on him to provide because she is focusing on raising children and making a home. Those tend to be the happiest homes. Um, more conservative families that live in a more traditional way. They tend to be happier. The men are happier. The women are happier. Um, they tend to be more conservative in their political uh, affiliations, which stands to reason because liberal Democrats are attacking the very thing that makes us most happy, uh, or at least very, a thing that makes us happier in general, which is uh, family life and marriage and that sort of thing. So it's like, you see, um, the idea of singleness being celebrated in our culture is a is it's a way of just sticking a you know sand in the gears or, or just disrupting the natural order, the natural process of the way life goes, to where we have uh, people choosing to just prolong their single time of life and choosing to not get married. They're not choosing not to date. There's other variables in here that are really interesting to think about, which like the political affiliations, you have a a too much supply of men being, basically, if if conservatives and liberals tend to uh, cluster together, you've got a, uh, you know, too much supply of conservative men and too little um, demand on the, on the women's side where there's, they there's a lot of liberal women and there's not as many conservative guys for them to to, to pair up. And so I've, I've talked to a lot of people in churches and in various places. They're really discouraged, like single men and women are discouraged. So I know most of the people that I've talked to are not these hardened feminists that are like, I don't need no man. And I, I know they're out there, but in my circles is just doing ministry. Most people I know are like Christian people. They want to get married. They want to start families. They want to live out God's design but they're facing so many different obstacles and it's especially pronounced for young men who they're the women that they would want to date are so um, inundated with feminist ideas these young women are they're just they're following taylor swift and they like love everything she stands for and it's like she's discipling these young women and there's a lot of young guys it's like okay i don't know any christian young women that wants to get married and have children, raise them from home, you know, focus on feminine vocations. And so I have, I know a lot of guys, like I want to get married. I want to do all the things, good godly men and they're having a hard time finding women. So all of these things are just really challenging and it's discouraging. I feel frustrated on their behalf. Um, so I thought I want to point this out, uh, on Twitter. I wrote, I wrote about, um, I didn't go into this sort of detail in my book about singleness is more of a theological case um with some practical application but on twitter i wanted to highlight what are the things that are causing this to break down um and more awareness there can be more if the more we're aware of the problem then the more we can address it and come up with solutions and that's what the other thread was about is what do we do about this as a church how do we help men and women find each other find suitable spouses equip them disciple them to have healthy marriages so that's that's kind of the the thinking behind all of that that went into this thread. There's, there's obviously a lot going on in this thread, but that's the big ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you, you, because you you wrote a book and, um, you know, uh, it, it's a great book, uh, God's Good Design, if I'm getting that title correctly. Um, so it's, uh, like you said, you you talk about a lot of different things like patriarchy and and things that are also considered hot button issues. But it's interesting that you keep getting requests to talk about singleness. Uh, I think for me, you know it, it's it's a bit of a uh, it's it's just a alarm ringing in my head that shows the health of our culture. I mean we, when birth rates are low and marriage rates are low, um, and we have uh, adult I think uh, Aaron Wren called them cadults. <laughs> you know we have these these uh, these uh, forever uh, never growing up Peter Pan type men and women that want to be the Disney adults that, (laughs) that uh, that just never grow up and never take responsibility and accept that they actually are 30 as opposed to uh, 13. Uh, So (laughs) um, I mean, to me, that's, that's a lot of why I, I feel a great desire to tackle this. And uh, you, you alluded to this and this is anecdotal. So I'm curious if you see the same thing, but it seems like my wife and I talk about a lot, how, when we were first married, we were some of the first in our friend group to get married. Um, and we had a lot of single friends that we were, we were hoping, Oh, I hope this single person finds someone. I hope this single person finds someone. And, you know, fast forward, we've been married almost five years and all the single men that we were thinking about the good godly men, they're all snatched up there. None of them are single anymore, but we know many women that are still single. And again, this is just anecdotal. I don't know what the actual stats are on that. Obviously, we just talked through some of those and we can kind of go back and refer those and unpack them more and more. Uh, but it seems like at least within uh, within our circle, specifically within the church, it seems as though there is a larger deal of, uh, larger group of single women who want to get married. But uh, honestly, most of the single guys have now been snatched up so i'm curious if that's a trend that um either of you are are seeing as well if my anecdote has uh has any um uh, relatability to your guys' situation and why you think that is that these women are uh, are on the receiving end of the of the um forced singleness
2: i i think it varies from church to church you know you know my church i have an abundance of men uh single men in my church there are there are some single women but mostly it's uh have more a lot more men that are solid marriageable guys i know in other churches uh just the numbers tilt in the other direction so it can vary from one congregation to the next but in either case the the problem i I think what we have is this epidemic of an inability to think long term about what do these things mean? Everything in America, we're so individualistic that we don't have any sense of duty, of um, investing in the future of our civilization, of our society. It's all about what do I want? What is comfortable for me? And on the at, at the one level where I, the thread started out is this is a, 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 if you don't replace your population, then your society will collapse it becomes an inevitability so you have um japan korea some of these uh, asian countries are they're on they're the clock is ticking because they cannot replace you you need to have at least replacement rate to be able to um for your society to be able to continue to function you need to have a healthy workforce that is able to replace those who are growing older and and dying that's just that's just doing the math but then Individually, we think of singleness, dating, marriage, and these sort of things all in terms of my own personal happiness. What do I want out of life? I want this kind of spouse, this kind of situation. And there is very little acknowledgement of this is a Christian duty to um, to populate the earth. And this is built in from the very beginning, when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, exercise dominion over it. And that creation mandate has is, is the engine that has enabled society to continue growing, um, ever since the beginning. But whenever people think merely in terms of their own personal happiness, their own personal fulfillment, um, they, they, they limit, it's like the the way that they evaluate potential people to date or it tends to be very superficial. They're not thinking who would make a good father? Who would make a good mother? What kind of person do I want to be with when I get old guys? Like is she hot you know it's like they are just they're they're not really thinking long term no, and then does she
1: make me happy right now
2: yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. and, and that personal immediate happiness is the only factor and that matters i wouldn't say that doesn't matter where pastors and churches contribute to the problem and this is where the real malpractice is and one thing i'm very passionate about is there's so much pressure in churches to affirm singleness as Equally legitimate uh, life to being married, and yeah. you the pastors and churches do this because they want to spare the feelings of single, usually single women who don't want to be treated as though they're lesser than. They don't like this this feeling of rejection, or nobody wants me to be highlighted in some way and moral weight added to it. I get that as a pastor, it's like I don't want to add to somebody's despair. Um, and yet at the same time if you don't address the sort of choices pastorally that people make that contributes to their single condition or could limit their marriage options or just shepherd them towards marriage if you don't address those things um then th- then there that will bear out over time where you'll have large basically it you have populations of aging single people and as you get older the anxiety grows and grows where people don't want to grow old alone and they start to panic and that's when they make bad decisions if pastors had the conviction the courage the nerve to do to basically be willing to piss people off when they're young (laughs) and say all right you i want to you guys are going to get pissed at this well let me tell you if you're to and, and i think the a, a single women in particular put themselves in positions that make it more it can it, it can limit their dating options um so uh the example i i i like to think of there was a young woman in my church a few years ago that uh she was a college student very young she was a very pretty girl uh super smart uh just had a heart for missions and evangelism she always had some uh, international students hanging around with her and so we were having a an event after church one Sunday and I was talking to her um, and she was just telling me you know what she's doing in town she said well I'm here to go to school and I ask her what she's studying she goes well I'm going into med school and then as I asked her more questions it, it became evident that okay the next 10 years of her life or so basically the best of her 20s is going to be going to school preparing for career And the financial obligations that that career will require of her when she's done will be a lot of debt, most likely, that will obligate her to work, you know, uh, full-time hours at least, and doctor hours are long hours. So when would she be free, truly free, to have lots of children, or at least just a few children, and to be able to focus on them the way children need their mothers to do? To educate them, to um, disciple them, raise them, be home with them, especially when they're very little. She's already put herself on a trajectory that will make that option seem more and more remote. And I know people that I know women that are doctors, and after they they have children, and they realize I'm stuck. I wish I could stay home with my kids, but I can't. I'm stuck, and they have debts that require them require her to work. And if you have a husband that has done the same thing, you've got big student debt, you have lifestyles that demand lots of income, dual incomes, and now you have children. It's like, well, our only option is to have the state raise our children in government schools, which is a disaster, or uh, have to heap up even more expenses for private education, which requires people to work. So it's like these there are practical things that really impede the ability for people to raise Christian households. But all of this stuff can be prevented. It's like an ounce of provision, uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think if you could talk to single people when they're 20, 19, 18, and like think long-term about your life. And I would say this to pastors. Pastors love your people well enough to piss them off when they're young and say, think about what you're doing so that you don't put yourself in a position to where when you're 40, you've got teenage kids and they've been going to public school and they're goth or trans or whatever that they've learned in public school. They're, they're hooked on Instagram. They're depressed. I mean, these things happen. This is like what is happening at our public schools. Think long-term like, okay, I want to make some enemies here, church. I want to share some things with you that may be hard to hear, but listen, this is because I love you. Prioritize family life. Now choose career paths that give you maximum flexibility when you're older. Those are the kind of things that really, need to happen in order to um put people in a position to where as the data shows that you read this this aligns you up with the way God made the world but the the modern world has so many challenges and things that pressure us to make decisions that we'll regret later so think of you don't want people being growing into the 40s 50s 60s and think okay I guess I'll be single forever I'll never have grandkids and Whenever I get to the latter years of my life, I'm having more deaths than births. And I'm nobody's I don't have grandchildren visiting me on Christmas because I never married. And those things are those are real pain thing, painful things that can be helped by early intervention to disciple people when they're young.
1: There's a distinct point in the data that you just kind of referenced that stuck out to me, and that is the perceived dissatisfaction of having a wife that out-earns their husband. What's interesting, what strikes me about that is, even in my own life, now full transparency here, my wife out-earns me, and that's because I'm a full-time student in grad school in seminary, and she is working full-time to afford us the opportunity to not be indebted to the government in order to do Christian education, which is a system that is entirely corrupt in and of itself. But that's a different conversation. Um <laughs> My wife out earns me with the understanding that when the Lord blesses us with children, that will change no matter what happens. We're not allowing our financial stability to become an obstacle for our family building. That's a decision that we've made faithfully and and prayerfully so that Lord willing, when my wife conceives and bears a child, I don't want her working full-time. I will do what I need to do to provide for her, which may mean working myself to death <laughs> in order to not be enslaved to a lender. But, you know, that's a decision that we've made. And she knows that full mm-hmm. well, and we're eagerly anticipating that time when the Lord blesses us in that way. But what what strikes me is that it puts me in a position where I, I see my wife in a situation that she's in where she eagerly and even desperately desires to not have to work and to be able to provide for a family in the ways that she feels called to through that uh, through mothering, through home building, through cultivating a a culture within the home in making the home what it should be. And she's often frustrated with the limitations that she has to be able to care for a home the way that she feels led to because she works full time and I'm not particularly satisfied with that arrangement for the time either. However, it is a means to an end. And that end is like I said, uh, uh, more financially motivated. So it's interesting that even though we have made that decision in our own family to set our priorities straight in that way, which is contingent upon our bearing of children, Lord willing, we're eagerly praying for that all the time. And, uh, but I've heard so many other stories. I know of so many other women who are not, not so blessed as to know that there is an end to that condition mm-hmm. that are not so I'll even say privileged to have a spouse that is vowed with them to create that opportunity so that they can be cultivating a home the way that they feel desired to. And you know, the algorithms work, all sorts of ways through social media and a lot of what comes up on my wife's feed are other women saying these exact same things that want to be homesteaders. They want to, Mm. you know, raise animals and and have their husband work on the farm and have them raise the kids so that they don't have to go to work. And I think our common culture perceives that as selfishness that women would not want to contribute but what i think they don't realize is that the contribution of a woman in that capacity is greater than anything they could do through a paycheck yeah. the other side of this coin of course is the dissatisfaction about an out a wife out earning a husband is so often attributed to the husband's dissatisfaction of his pride and i'm finding that more and more that mm-hmm. is a non-factor in our culture but we still act as if that is a, a, a cultural phenomenon that is taking place that men are so prideful they can't accept a, a woman out earning them by no means am i concerned that my wife makes a good paycheck i am more concerned that she is not satisfying her soul in the purpose that she feels god has called her to that is very uh, that that causes us to be distraught <laughs> and i yearn for the day when that will be altered but mm-hmm. i'm trusting god for that as well And I know that in my own family, that is a, that's something with a timer on it. We will have children. And Mm -hmm. I trust the Lord with that. And when that comes, I will do what is necessary to afford her the opportunity to pursue the calling that God has on her life, just as she has afforded the opportunity for me to pursue the calling that I have on my life by going to school at this time. And she's making the sacrifice for that. And There's a lot packed into that, which comes to self-sacrifice in marriage, it comes to the motivations behind the dissatisfaction of uh, a financially unstable ground that we have put ourselves in as a culture so that women are earning and often we're dependent on dual income. I want to know what are your thoughts on that. I mean, that's, that's a kind of a loaded topic, but yeah, Michael, tell me what you think about that.
2: Well I, I appreciate your candor Michael um and I'll I'll tell a story and then um share a reflection about a, a practical uh, application. The story is my best friend uh Wade Thomas. He is on staff at the church with me. He uh we've been friends for years, but I've known Wade for 10 years and Wade uh, he had convictions settled earlier in life um, that the kind of life that he wanted to have, family and so forth. Um, but he's not the he. He was not earning a ton of money, but he got married, and whenever they got pregnant, he and his wife they decided, okay, we're going to find some way to for his wife to be able to stay home to raise their children. Um, and so he would tell you. That, 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 uh, cause he, I I knew him as a fellow church planter. He's not a church planter anymore, but his dream was to do ministry and plant, plant churches and be a pastor and be paid to do that. But whenever the church was not going such that he could draw a salary from it, um, he started working, uh, basically he, he took a job that he didn't like, but would pay the bills because that's what was required of him to be able to provide for his family and to be able to make sure his wife didn't have to work to supplement his income. They have six children now. Um, he stayed in that job for a decade. Um, whenever uh, he, he, so he had this regular, you know, nine to five kind of job. And then on the weekends he would work for a local pizza place. He would manage a pizza place. Um, and just as a second job. But all of this like he would say it's like he would not have done any of those things because he liked it or wanted to, but it was like the duty drew it out of him to do something very hard that he hated, but the conviction was strong in him to to follow that path. Some people um so some people find themselves to where they they arrive at these convictions after they have obligated themselves to things that would um, prevent them from being able to live it out that way. So you have major debts or something like that. And so I think that in those situations, and I would, this applies in your situation also, Michael, is that there's, we have to keep, keep in mind the grace of Jesus and a, a conviction that we're pursuing and the grace enables us to say, okay, my situation may not be what I want, but I know what I'm headed towards. And so where, where am I now? And what, in all the ways that my situation right now isn't ideal, then I trust God in that and walk by faith through that difficulty. But I'm pointed in a direction and then I can prioritize steps to take. So you already know uh, you're you're young enough and um, I'm assuming you don't have children yet, Um, but you're going to school your wife is earning a good good uh income to be able to 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 you know if you guys to be able to pay your bills so i would say if i were if i were your pastor i would say okay what you can come up with a plan like what what needs to happen to get you to the place where you are able to be the breadwinner and that's where you got to get super practical you need to take um you know the the grace of God and these wonderful spiritual truths. And then you have to have the book of Proverbs that tells you, okay, we need practical wisdom. What are we going to do? What's our budget? Um, what's our savings? And my friend Wade, he, he did this so well. Um, he, 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 he put so much effort and time and was incredibly disciplined. And basically he led his family, his wife, like, okay, we're, we're going to be, we're going to struggle financially. We're not going to make a lot of money, but, um, we're going to manage what we have well, and and they've been incredibly disciplined, um, and they save. They do the retirement thing. I mean, he does it all with with very, you know, very meager income. Um, I say past tense because I hired him on my staff about a year and a half ago, so he works for me now, and we gave him a good raise. But
1: um, <laughs> nice, good.
2: But that was his faithfulness was rewarded, and even when in hiring him, I was like, "That's that's the kind of man." that I want working with me and that I want my people to be able to look to and like here's here's somebody who did the hard thing of having a conviction that it's difficult I mean the world is against us I mean like in the modern world the industrial revolution and the way that our economy is is organized it's it's hard it's like you we economically it's it can be very challenging and so we have to be realistic about the fact that there are major challenges that we have to figure out. And that's why I would say, okay, we can't, we, we don't have the luxury of, of beating ourselves up and, and feeling terrible and guilty and all that. We don't have that luxury. It's like, no, we, there's work to do. So what, what where are we right now? Let's, let's like, okay, if like you're in the mall, it's like, you are here, where's the dot on the little map, where are we? And then what are steps we could take practically? And in any way, let's say like, it's not ideal that your wife is the breadwinner. That's okay. That's not ideal. It's not what you want, but you know, you want out of that and you don't want that to be the reality whenever you have children. So I'm sure you have a plan. Some you're thinking through, how do we get Mm. to that point? Maybe that's what you're, you're your studies are, are are leading to that but there's there's something on the other side of it i think like there's a lot of wiggle room whenever couples are just getting started that's why i see it. it's so urgent to address things when they're young it's harder it's harder to course correct when you're in your mid 40s you've got you know five hundred thousand dollar debt on your house and you're still paying student loans and your kids are in the eighth fourth and sixth grade and uh they're in public school then say oh my goodness now we need to uh we, we, we need to homeschool and we need to homestead and we need to go one income. It's like, well, it's gonna take you 10 years to work to that point, or you might have to sell your house and move to a shack to get that. It's like the the cost of repentance and, and course correction is so great then it's better to set it off, set it off in the right direction now when you're young. So my, my word of counsel would be like for anybody that's in that situation, if you've already aged out or moved past the situation where you can correct it easily trust god there there's there's grace for people that have all kinds of less than ideal situations and point your point the your the the direction of your home to where you want to go where you want to take it and then start slowly working toward it making slow steps i i don't want to i whenever i get going i talk a lot so i'll i'll stop there
1: (laughs) that's good and in Wade's case, I mean, that's a beautiful example of managing money the way that I think scripture demonstrates for us and the way that so many of Christ's uh, parables pertain to finances. And none of them are advocating for wealth. They are all advocating for stewardship. And right. it seems like Wade, and I'm pursuing this as well, as is Connor, as our as we are also encouraging all of our listeners to do is cultivating a culture of stewardship in our finances, in our relationships and everything so that we can enjoy those blessings. And you're, you're right. Uh, It's unfortunate that in some cases, there's a certain amount of consequence for decisions that are made and you can't just press the uno reverse and decide that when you're 38 you should just get married and have a bunch of kids and live on a homestead and not be in the debt that you accumulated in schooling. I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's not that easy. So you're right. To a degree, we do need to be reaching out to the younger people to to cultivate that culture. But also, the grace of God is sufficient for any of those who come to the cross with repentant hearts. So that's a, a beautiful thing, and I appreciate you pointing that out.
2: Yeah. There are a lot of things I... I if i could do over a lot of things i would change Mm. um but they say you know youth is wasted on the young uh (laughs) you i wish if i wish i would have known and had the wisdom that i've gained at my age now i wish i had that when i was younger i could make different decisions and there, that's 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 just life um people panic they're they if they're afraid that whenever you talk about something that challenges them they receive it as condemnation and what what is intended is not condemnation it's like i can't affirm i can't affirm uh unwise choices in your life my life anybody's life we don't that's not healthy or good for any of us what we can affirm is god's grace covers a number of situations and god can work wonderful things out of less than ideal situations and I think most people will find themselves in less than ideal situations, especially if you've accumulated a number of poor decisions on top of one another. And then you realize at some point, Oh man, we really need to change this. Well, then you've got a good, you've got to back out and you've got to of course, correct and repent. And a lot of times you're doing that and you just can't turn back the clock. That's where pastors really need to make sure their people hear lots of grace in the midst of very tangible, practical truth and very unpleasant truth, in our modern world, especially, it's a bit, yeah. it's, it, it's a tough balance, but it's it's really necessary.
1: There's a piece of counsel that I've I found that I repeat often enough with twenty and thirty year olds, uh, people, men and women in their twenties and thirties, and that is, I think, a wise counsel that what is going to be the greater priority to you 15 years from now? And a lot of those couples in their late twenties or early thirties that I am close in contact with are either deciding not to have children or are pursuing other financial goals as a priority above family building. And it goes back to some of those statistics about the, the lower birth rates, even among married people. And Something that I continuously say is, okay, in 15 years, will you care more about the apartment that you leased now? Mm. Will you care more about the job that you fulfilled? Or will you care more about your teenaged children and their lives and their, their development? And yeah, it, it goes back right to Wade and his circumstances as an example. Of course, he is going to be so thrilled that his children yeah. have been afforded the opportunities that they have and that is so much more important than him having been satisfied by his working environment for the 10 years that he really buckled down mm-hmm. and worked those hours. So that brings me, the, sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I could share this quick anecdote. Wade, Wade uh, he shared with me a story that um, it. he's been really blessed to have this uh, living vision that he can uh, aspire to. He is one of five and he is very, he has the most respect for his dad, just the utmost respect for his dad. And there was a, there was a moment, you know, your year, few years ago where I think there were, he was visiting his family for a holiday and he watched his dad look around the room and he's got five children. All of them are married and tons of little grandkids running around the place. And he watched his dad watch, the rest of the family. And he said that it was like this. He was like, he was like a King. It's like, he is like the richest man in the world because he has such wealth and whatever pain and sacrifice it took to get to that moment was worth it. And Wade has shared that story and, and that has inspired him. He's like, I want, I want that. And he's got six children. Now they're adopting a seventh and they may have more after that. Um, And he wants to, He's like I want to I want to have that kingly experience and I pray that he has it cuz it it's a beautiful picture and those pictures are so rare people I mean how many people have that in their grandparents that they could say I yeah, yeah my grandpa was like that my grandma was like it's so rare and because it, I just I feel like beauty is just kind of evaporating within the world as we are losing these wonderful things that we should have preserved and we haven't yeah
0: shara joel in the chat said the culture right now is just so anti-family anti-children between people like chelsea handler with her day in the life of a childless woman and the rise of so-called dinks people just don't care about family and it's definitely crept into the church i completely agree with that shara um unfortunately it 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 has crept in the church the chelsea handler thing we actually talked about that when the very first time we had cr wiley on the podcast and I encourage any of you to go back and listen to his reaction to that because that was, that was a fun one, but, um, (laughs) it it has crept into the church. That's for sure. Um, and, uh, one, one chat I want to make sure we get to, um, before we move on to this, uh, thought that I wanted to unpack here is from, uh, Greg Freeland up top. He said, women initiate 7%, 70% of divorces and men can lose 50% of what they have, uh, plus spend uh, thousands more to get custody of their kids. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted to make sure we address that comment because I think there are a lot of guys, I don't, and I'm not, I don't know if Greg is one of them or if he's just uh, speaking on behalf of those guys. But there are a lot of men that I see. Uh, these are the people that have found a home in the manosphere movement, in the, the, sort of the ender tates of the world, that they have this uh, aversion to marriage because uh, many of the laws as written really do benefit women um it's it's a real it's a it's an actual reality you know i think uh i think the manosphere gets a lot of things wrong um but there are kernels of truth in uh in their worldview and one of them is the fact that the the courts do tend to side with women nowadays in america but it's it's made a lot of men completely uh horrified at the idea of getting married because they think that they're just going to be cheated on, you know, five years into the marriage and the woman's going to take half of their stuff and their kids. And, uh, you know, that's why you got people like Rollo Tomasi, uh, telling people to get vasectomies in their twenties to make sure they don't accidentally impregnate a woman. And basically can sleep around with no consequences and just things that the church would absolutely stand against. Um, but, but again, there's that kernel of truth of these, these men have, uh, have, fears that are not completely unfounded so um i I of course know what answer i would give but i'm curious what you would give pastor clary to um, guys that have that
2: fear fear of i just getting fear of getting married because of you know if it goes sideways and how it could hurt them in the long run is that
0: yeah, and, and just everything. dealing with the reality that uh, we do live in a culture where the courts do favor women, um, and you know, false accusations and things like that can ruin a man. Um, but uh it, as a whole, family courts just tend to side with the women. So there's there's a, a, a real reason to have that fear, but how would you speak into that knowing that the biblical model is not, of course, to avoid marriage?
2: Yeah. Spiritual maturity, godliness would answer, you know, ninety-five percent of those issues. Um, if if a man and woman are truly focused on Christ, and they if if like their their driving ambition in life is to walk with God, to uh, live a life pleasing to Him, and if a man especially is living that way, he's going to want a woman who is going to um, follow his lead and that that kind of marriage is going to um, that the, I mean the, the, the statistics are I saw a statistic uh, was it yesterday or the day before about um, a family that prays together or a couple that prays together every day um, their their success rate is like 90 90 plus percent of marriages so it's like that's not like oh that's the magic solution but the fact that they're praying together is indicative of priorities that probably are reflective elsewhere in the marriage so i would say um marriage is what it is it it is a you're you want to you could call it a risk um it, it's a it's a, a too negative i think a way of looking at it but but you're if if you have to have a prenup or some kind of arrangement that protects you. Then, do you really? That tells me that you, you're. She isn't, or she wouldn't be somebody you would want to marry. Uh, if if you don't have complete trust, to where you would need some kind of legal contract. Either either you've got trust issues, or she is not trustworthy. Uh, either way, there, that those are indicative of problems in spiritual problems that are that that are you you just have to address those things so I wouldn't um, but I, I would I would not uh, disagree that the the legal system is skewed against men um, and, and that's that's not just the legal system that is that is the world like the whole believe all women thing um, yeah. If there's an accusation made whoever she accuses is guilty until proven innocent um because we we have this this idea of women are uh, enlightened uh creatures that are more virtuous more noble more pure better than men in every way and that a lot of people even though the data disappear that because women can be quite vicious uh it is still That is still the perception that is at at large in our culture. And that's what we're expected to think. Um, And so Christians, we just have to live it. We have to live differently. We have to have a different mindset about marriage. Um, I think a lot of this can just be solved with a man and a woman being fully dedicated disciples of Jesus Christ. And there will always be those scenarios that some guy gets totally screwed. And that's, that's very unfortunate. And I hate that that's the world we live in. But the solution isn't to start putting in um, loopholes and qualifiers and and marriage arrangements to try to prevent it. Um, You just have to have the, you have to trust God enough to um, let marriage be what it is and take the risks that are involved in any marriage. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Proverbs says that the the fear of of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And I think part of that is, is, is we like to always think of fear as just reverence and that is part of it, but there's also genuine fear. I mean, the reality is you made a covenant before God. I mean, if you truly take, uh, if you truly understand your position in the universe compared to God's, <laughs> you know, you will know that you should not break that covenant uh, because yeah. uh, breaking that covenant before God is, so much weightier than just breaking a a marriage covenant you know signed at the courthouse you know that 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 means nothing compared to breaking the covenant that that you made before god and again that's to your point that's assuming uh you know that 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 kind of says if you have a woman that's willing to do that then that she clearly didn't have a proper understanding of of her role in the universe um her her place compared to uh a sovereign holy almighty god who 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 owes us nothing and it's, it's a wonder that we were created, let alone, uh, you know, let alone saved by, by his grace and the sacrifice of his son. And that's, we could easily do a whole podcast on, on that (laughs) all, all in itself. But I I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, first Corinthians 7, because, um, I've heard you mention it in in some previous interviews that, that you've been in, uh, Pastor Cleary. But then, of course, it's been something that uh, I've been talking about for years, which is that there's just this overemphasis on 1 Corinthians 7. And this is uh, for those who are, are not uh, fully familiar of what uh, chapter I'm referring to. This is when Paul uh, basically encourages uh, individuals to be as he is, meaning single. And he he talks about how they he doesn't want them to be uh Anxious. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He doesn't want them to be anxious. And the married man has more anxieties because he has to think about his his uh, his wife before he thinks about just himself and how following Christ may affect that. And and there's uh you know there's a lot of great verses there. Uh, but it seems like the the dominant worldview of the last uh, last several decades within the church has been really hyper-focusing on 1 Corinthians 7 while ignoring all the other contexts of the Bible. You know, Proverbs talks about how a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Um, there are many other passages that just speak to the joy of marriage and the joy of, of, of children. Uh, you know, children are, are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the man who, who fills his quiver with, with them. They are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Uh, you know, and th- there are many passages that talk about marriage, family, Um, and, and doing that in God's good design, the name of your book, God's good design, you know, uh, because there, there is a design and the church just fixated on this one chapter from, from Paul while ignoring the rest of the context. So, um, what's why do you think that came about? Is that just a, (laughs) the conspiratorial part of me wants to think that's a a globalist push sort of to, uh, to take scripture and to warp it so that we can continue down this globalist push to have fewer families and fewer children, because it seems like everything from the food that we eat to the media that we consume is trying to uh, keep us from having children and repopulating. So, uh, but obviously it's not just that because there are well-meaning pastors who don't even realize that they're playing into this cultural shift. So, what are your guys's thoughts on how first corinthians 7 became such a heavy emphasis while ignoring all the other uh parts of the bible that speak in almost opposition towards it
2: i think it's demonic the satan hates the image of god he hates god he hates god's image uh so he hates human beings and he hates the reproduction of more human beings populating the earth the image of god and so there's a number of ways to prevent the image of God from being spread across the face of the earth that He wants to dominate, and that is, um, you can prevent, uh, you can mutilate bodies by, you know, transgenderism, uh, sterilizing people. You can uh, uh, prevent marriage from happening. You can promote singleness, um, contraception. I mean, it's just there's what Satan is going to be on board with anything that would reduce human presence on the earth i think you have some some people i I think people let's say best case scenario you have a pastor or teacher that their heart breaks for some 40 year old single woman that desperately wants to get married and for whatever legitimate reason she wasn't um and he doesn't want to say anything at all that makes it sound like she failed that she's in sin she's wrong she she is you know, morally stained because she is unmarried. And, and of course, a lot of people are going to, they're going to be sympathetic to that. And people in that circumstance will be very quick to remind you uh, of the pain of their situation, of how they feel. Like, I mean, I've, I've heard this so, I can't tell you hundreds of times I've heard over the years. Like, I've, I just, it's like we've, you bend over backwards to accommodate singles but like, i just don't feel like we have a place here I, mean, I remember there was one day a few years ago where in the same day i had two different conversations with people one was a single woman telling me i don't feel like there's a place for me in this church because it just seems like everything caters to married people and then later that same day i spoke to a married woman and she said i just don't feel like the married people are really uh, valued as much as all the singles that like we have so many single people here um, and i just thought the the irony was so thick on that situation but everybody's single people in particular well will will curry sympathy from people because uh and people will feel sorry for them and they feel like we don't want you to be alone and that's natural so they like let me, i want to soothe you and comfort you by look jesus was single the apostle paul was single in fact Paul said it was, it was even, you know, maybe it was even better to be single because look at all this good work he could do for the kingdom. And those, those talking points have been repeated so many times. Um, and it, it can become more the dominant message that we speak to singles. It's like all we want to do with singles is make them feel better because we love them and we don't want them to hurt. Um, sometimes that's exactly the right message. Nobody ever wants to imply anything at all that they're doing something that might make them unattractive. You don't. You don't want to. It, it, absolutely, you don't say that to a woman. Um, but the fact of the matter is, women are sinful, just like men are. Women do unattractive things. Women can repel people that might otherwise uh, be, you know, be something that uh, be a, the kind of person that somebody would want to ask out. That's not cruel to point it out or to disciple women, but it's difficult to do. So we think, man, it is really hard to, to talk to people. It, the, the easiest thing to do that makes me feel better, that makes them feel better, is just to say singleness is great. It's a gift. Talk about it as a gift. Talk about Paul and Jesus being single. I think that's, and First Corinthians 7, on the surface, if you just want a proof text and that's the only verses in the Bible you have, then you could read First Corinthians 7 I'm like, there you go. Singleness is the way to go. It's it's better than to, uh, you know, it's at least equal, if not better, to be single. But the thing is that First Corinthians 7 is not the only thing the Bible has to say about marriage. Um, you, grace, the grace of God does not just completely eliminate the natural order of things. Men and women, God made us to get married and to have children and to populate. The, the, the creation mandate was never rescinded we are still called to populate the earth be fruitful and multiply um so what paul is talking about unless paul is just turning genesis 1 and all of the other things the bible has to say about marriage and the blessings of family life, unless paul is just turning that completely upside down there's more going on there and i think that's that's the issue paul talks about the present distress that was facing them uh in corinth and We don't know what that present distress was, but Paul says in view of the present distress, here's my counsel to you. So I liken it to, um, let's say you have a guy who's uh, facing uh, wartime and there's a military draft and he's going to be called into active duty and there's a good chance that he could go into combat be killed in action. And yet he's got a fiance and he wants to marry her and he wants to marry her because he wants to have sex with her also. Um, But so he's got a choice to make it's like well that's a present distress like there's a good chance that here in the next few weeks i could get sent off to war and i want to be in a hot zone and i may never come back so you could say you know it's best for her to not subject her to the torment of having a husband and you know that may not come back to her maybe better to not marry because of that distress and he would make a legitimate choice in view of that distress to postpone the marriage and yet If he says, I really want to have sex with her and uh, I love her and I think she's beautiful and I want to be with her. There's no sin. If he gets married, I think in that situation you could say, you know, there's, there's a couple of options there that are equally valid, but to extrapolate that and say, I've got this feminist career minded woman that has no interest in marriage and children. And yet as a Christian, she's looking for some legitimacy for denying her feminine vocation. I would say, you can't get that from the bible don't don't impose your your idolatry onto scripture and try to get this gift of singleness out of first corinthians seven it's yeah. it, it's not the way it works
1: well, let's let's talk about those verses in particular because you touch on a really good point and that is that most of the time that those that that specific verse is armed for this particular purpose it's engaged in eisegetically. Uh, It's used out of its own context to assert a particular purpose. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 7 verses 6 through 9, that chunk of verses 6 through 9 are self-identified by Paul as a concession and not a command. And he says this, that's what verse 6 says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one another, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burden with passion. And then the very next verse in verse 10, he says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So it's almost like he switches gears where he's giving his preferences, and he separates that from the direct command of God himself. So as we take that into consideration for biblical ethics uh, i think it's important to recognize that paul is writing from a context in a circumstance where he himself has been thrust into singleness ministry where he has sacrificed every aspect of worldly gain or even uh he's sacrificed like you're saying out of out of genesis to the commission to be fruitful and multiply, he is sacrificing those things for a greater good that God himself, that Christ himself had called Paul to in the ministry that he would satisfy. And Paul is saying, you know, if I had it my way, this isn't a command. This is just my concession. I wish you were all just like me and, you know, fervently serving the kingdom in this way. But he says, each has his own gift, one in one way, one another, which is his way of saying, God's gifted me for this role of ministry, and mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be gifted in this way, which is very clear. 1 Corinthians writes a lot about the different giftings, the uh, the different, you know, the, the imagery that he gives us of one body and many parts. So it's it's keeping in theme with a lot of what he's writing here, But this concession that is so often taken out of context is Paul's kind of like an aside of his, his interjection Mm -hmm. of his own thoughts and preferences. And by, by definition, he is saying that it is not a command of God and it is not the preference of God that singleness would be that way. It is his own preference and i think because people see it attached to a scripture reference it's uh it's almost like it's some lawful command that governs their own identity but scripture needs to be understood rightly not every mm-hmm. donkey's going to speak not every <laughs> you know we're there's a reason why god can command the execution of some people in Old Testament and also command us not to murder. Uh, there's there's differences in the way, the nuance of these things. And it's not that the scriptures themselves are contradictory. It's exactly as Paul says, each has his own gift from God. One is one kind and to another another. I, it frustrates me that I so often will hear this as an argument for yeah. singleness and for justifying mm-hmm. this idea that pastors will soften the blow against uh, single people by saying, oh, well, it, you're called to singleness and this is better. It's it's good for you to do this. Paul says you should be yeah. this way anyway. Well, yeah.
2: I, don't I think, think it's think cruel. It's
1: appropriate. Yeah.
2: Well, it, 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 it is. It, cool. it's, uh, the, way I, the way I understand it is the, the creation mandate of marriage and family life is normative for for humanity, especially for all Christians. But there are some instances where somebody may not be married for some reason. Um, They could be disobedient and just choose not to. Um, They can be obedient in their desire, but for some or other legitimate reason, um, they've not gotten married. so i would say in that case it's a trial they are suffering something an affliction of an unfulfilled desire um and for them you you don't want to say hey celebrate it it's a gift um, for for people in that situation like i don't want this gift this this is not something that i i I don't like it yeah it is more appropriate to call it a trial and affliction something to suffer and endure faithfully and there's all kinds of scriptures that they can look to like how do i deal with trials how do i endure suffering it's like oh my, my goodness the whole bible is filled with exhortations for that to comfort them and, and exhort them in suffering and then the other route is in extraordinarily unusual circumstances for high um i, I would call them like peculiar unusual uh degrees of christian service God would call somebody to celibacy and I would say that is a that is a unique calling and celibacy implies singleness, obviously, but singleness does not imply celibacy as far as the, the calling. So for for the person in the, the previous category that they desire marriage, but they're not, that is a life stage that we're all born single. Everybody endures singleness for some time until marriage comes along. If, and if, if it is long delayed, or if it never comes, that's a trial. Um, and they would be celibate in that they're, but the celibate is celibacy is not like a unique calling as a, like God is calling you to this life of singleness. No, that's, that's the trial. The only people that I would say are called to a life of celibacy, Jesus calls them eunuchs for the kingdom. It's like they, you know, in the ancient times, they would have their genitals crushed or removed to, so that they would, could manage the king's harem and not be tempted by his concubines. So it's like you are committing yourself to a life of not engaging in sexual activity, not having a family because you are having an unusual, demanding calling in service to the king. Um, And if any guy's looking at porn or, you know, something like that, I'm like, you're not called to celibacy (laughs) (laughs) because you don't have your you don't have self-control. So you need to repent of your sin and pursue a wife. Um, It's an
1: important distinction. And it's one that Paul himself makes here if you cannot exercise self-control then you should marry he says in verse nine it's better to marry than to burn with passion and mm-hmm. he's he's saying exactly that isn't he is that if you're sitting around wanting to be married then I, it's clear he's not saying you're called to singleness i don't yeah. know why we've blurred that line so much as a culture and there's glorified like glorified a... the single yeah it's yeah. like
0: it's like a form of like gnosticism like we're <laughs> or or like we have this desire to um you know to to torture ourselves honestly and and like like i guess there's this there's this mindset in american christianity that the thing that i don't want is the hard thing god's calling me to and that's not always <laughs> the case you know i mean that there are instances it's asceticism. like that. Yeah. Like, like there are instances where we're going to be, we're going to be Jonah and we don't want to go to Nineveh, but there are also instances where, where we're just going to be given blessing like Abraham, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know. I mean, it it was Andy Stanley who popularized the whole, uh, you're not David. It's like some of these, some, was Matt Chandler. (laughs) Oh, Matt Chandler. That's right. That's right. It was Matt Chandler. You're not, not, it's like, you're not Paul. You know, that's what I want to say to some of these young singles. I mean, Michael and I went to a, a large uh, non-denominational Christian college, and there was a huge uh, culture of of Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, ladies, gentlemen, you're you are not Paul. <laughs> you know, some mm-hmm. of you, to your point, uh, Pastor Clary, some of you may be called to celibacy, but I mean, that's not that's not normative. That's uh, I would I would assume that would always be a minority, uh, and in very specific circumstances. And Paul happened yeah. to be one of those. And of course, he's to to your point, Michael. You know, he's in the text. He's talking like, "Well, if it were up to me, you know, you'd all be like this." But I mean, it's not up to me. If you if you can't do this, like, go get married. and you know, enjoy the blessings. <laughs> uh, you know, enjoy enjoy the blessings of uh, marriage in the marriage. Well, the bed. very next <laughs>
1: verse in verses ten through. 16 he continues to map out the absolute importance of marriage and and holding the sanctity of marriage and not divorcing for any reason not divorcing for even faith reasons because you don't know if you can have a good influence on your spouse but don't marry someone who you're unequally yoked with but also the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband that's a much more controversial statement, I think, than we like to even talk about, but it's much less convenient to talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, yeah. that was verse 14 there. But yeah. um, no, it's, it's very much a thing. And it's important to recognize when we say that it's a cruelty to make light of someone's struggle in pursuit of marriage, it's a cruelty because... Exactly for the reasons you just said, Michael Clary, is that the the sufferings we've given, we're given such good biblical liturgy and, and understanding of how we should care for those who are suffering. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't mean that it has to be such a horrible thing either. Like, we, yeah. we shouldn't think that we have to sit in sackcloth and ashes because we're single. But it should be recognized for what it is. And it it makes me think Mm -hmm. of uh, James one, consider it pure joy. The trials that you experience of many kinds, because the trying of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance is a very valuable trait to have in marriage. So yeah, yeah, singleness is almost a necessary trial to overcome in order to develop the character needed for marriage. I think to some degree, and when we make light of that and, and glorify the struggle as the destination mm-hmm. that undermines the destination that God has in mind and the value of the struggle in order to achieve that destination for those who are yeah. desiring marriage and who are working towards that goal.
2: Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. So
0: uh, another, another thing that I want to touch on with the remainder of our time here is um, I've I've also been meeting uh, a few a few men that there's a theme of it's sort of a black pill uh, mentality that they realize like yep I'm single you know I'm approaching thirty and I'm just gonna stay single the rest of my life and you know I, I've tried to find a woman but you know I haven't haven't been able to yet it just seems like it's just not meant for me so I guess I'm just stuck here I'm gonna be single so um, what would both of you guys uh, say to those men who find themselves in that circumstance
2: so we gotta you have somebody that basically they've just given up
0: given up given up they've tried to find a good godly woman but one way or another they just haven't found them yet and they're not sure if it's them if they're they they have bo their breath stinks they don't know what but (laughs) one way or another just seems like they just can't find a girl and so they've given up on dating
2: that i i don't I wouldn't endorse that. <laughs> um, if a man has a legitimate desire to be married. Um, if he's just like, man, there's just no there. I, I, don't, know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just giving up. I would say like, man, like that is a that is a cop out. Um, there are so many women that are godly, that would make wonderful wives that would love to um, you know, build a house with a good man. I'm like if you're a good man, and um like if you've got good friends in your life that can tell you that you're an idiot or whatever your problems are then then don't give up don't throw in the towel chances are there's there's some issue it's not like all the women out there are dumb the women out there they're crazy whatever i'm like no the the common denominator is you it might be you're the one who is not mature enough and you just want to blame women and not take responsibility to get your act together so like don't cop out and just say well i'm giving up i think like be a man and you and the 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 singleness is different for men and women you can be 98 years old and still father a child um, so there's, it's never too late to start a family. If you're a man, it's a different scenario with women. Women are made to be more relational and it is a more, I think it's a greater burden for women and the window of fertility is not open forever. So it's like, there's, there's a greater burden, but I, I think for, for any man, they you should never give up. Um, I think for women, they're, they're the, the childbearing years has an expiration date. Um. So there may be some grief that you will have to endure if you pass that date, but in the the, the thread you read earlier, Connor, there's um, a lot of a lot of single women. They're just like they kind of throw in the towel too and decide I want to be cat women, um, and I'm going to have you know these. I'm going to be a mother to these animals, or even worse, they become nurturers of sin and nurturers of uh, activist feminist ideology where they try to be, uh, you know, they see the whole society as this infant that they want to care for and nurture. Um, and that is a, that is a distortion of the, of the feminine gift and the feminine calling. And so I would say, I just, I, I, find, it, I find it unthinkable that there is, there is some man or woman out there that there is nobody, there's not a single godly Christian in their in their orbit, anywhere that would have them, um, I just I don't believe it. I think we give up too easily. We I, that may be hard. The thing is, like there's, it, it's sanctifying. What we don't want to do is is face our own. Um, if you're single, why? That I mean, that's maybe maybe it is like you are completely a victim of circumstance. That is very possible. I wouldn't deny that. But there is a good chance there are things that are within your control that you can do to um, to give yourself advantages that can make yourself more appealing to someone. Mm-hmm. And Christians, we hate this. We we want to take the Matt Chandler advice, which is godliness is sexy. And I mean, that's attractive, sure. But that that just you can't just be a godly woman and otherwise physically unattractive in every other way. And expect a man to just see the godliness itself and be like, that's what I want, man. She's hot. I want her. It's like, no, there's God talked about, or, you know, the Bible talks about Rachel being beautiful and form and appearance. Uh, I know it's like this is where women can be of such great service to the body of Christ, because women can say things to one another that if a man says it, he's just he's just a total jerk and uh, what i'm talking about it's like I, I knew a woman who uh worked with college students we were we we were on a ministry project together and she would do a women's time and she'd be like, girls if you want to find a man you got to paint your barn you know and i'm like that is such good practical advice because it's saying like don't be slouching around in sweatpants and no makeup and you know like make yourself look good because that shows self-respect that that's just like that, that communicates to a man here's a woman who cares about her parents and that means that she cares about herself she has dignity um I won't I, I'll weight is a thing I hate to say it but it, it's a reality and I know a lot of women they try to lose weight and they can't um but that's that that is not completely out of your control and that I, I say this with compassion because I've I, I, I hate the thought of a woman just feeling like I'm, I'm overweight and no man will ever love me. I, I don't buy it. I've seen too many women that are overweight, fine men. Um, but what women cannot do, what nobody can do is the real issue is your weight. The real issue is you don't take care of yourself. The real issue is if you're a man, you're a jackass, you're a tool, you're, you're a jerk, you're rude. And then you want to blame the other sex and say, they just don't see my quality. No, you're arrogant. It's like, h- humble yourself. Ask other people. Like you, Everybody probably has some friends. I mean, I've got, I've got a number of men in my life right now. And I, and I could tell them, all right, guys, am I an idiot? If I'm an idiot, please, I beg you, tell me. Where am I being stupid here? Show me. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it. If they love you, they'll do it. Men are more willing to do that than women. Women are big, oh, girl, you're amazing. You're a 10. You're perfect. He don't deserve you. I mean, that's that's how women talk to each other. They're so drunk on affirmation that they don't want to challenge one another. But that's that is that does a disservice to women because there are things that she might need to change. Um, and that's the that's painful, hard reality. And that's why anybody who talks about singleness is going to be hated because you have to talk about unpleasant things. But yeah. Yeah. It, it's just a hard reality.
1: I think there's another aspect to this, if I can just tag along on here. There's an element to the the conversation of like the burnt-out, black-pilled single guy who's just kind of giving up on that. And that is that, like we said earlier, there's grace. And if you are living in repentance and walking in righteousness with the Lord, pursuing sanctification and being made holy through that process with the Lord then that should be the goal, right? Like that that's the priority and the rest comes from that. I have a good friend yeah. who he had a high school sweetheart, thought he was going to get married to her. Everything was going well. She dumped him. He was heartbroken. And then the Lord called him to missions work. And he spent the next on and off 40 years in Eastern mm. Europe serving the church Completely, and he he gave his life over to this ministry. And you know, this is like a storybook story in a way, but ultimately, he went back to his hometown. And at this point, he's 60 years old or more, I forget how old exactly he was. And he ran into that high school sweetheart and found out that Mm -hmm. a few years earlier her husband had a car drop on his chest and died in a horrible accident. And now his children and grandchildren were deeply sorrowful and lacking their father. And here's this guy who's came back to the States after 40 years of ministry and says, I don't know what to do with myself. And then he runs into this girl again and they got married and he has been a wonderful (laughs) father and grandfather to this Situation in this family, and I just I point that out to say the Lord is faithful, and can be faithful in the circumstances that are so difficult. And I think in, in this guy's situation, he has learned to endure through trials, and he has cultivated perseverance as a, as a tenant of his entire life and his character, and. He always desired marriage, but not as much as he desired serving the Lord, and God used him in really beautiful and miraculous ways and then still restored that satisfaction to him mm. after all these years. So it, I I point that out just to say there's not like a, a one-size-fits-all template for how things should be. There is an optimal model for reproduction and for satisfying mm-hmm. the the calls that we have in life. But God's grace works in such beautiful, masterful ways in all circumstances, Amen. and there's great hope that can come through that.
2: Absolutely, praise God! Yeah. God loves doing that,
1: yeah, he does. absolutely. He does,
0: He does. And just a couple last practical things, too, to kind of um, tack my little uh two cents on to both of you guys. Um, to, to some of these men who feel that way. I think sometimes you have to, uh, to your point, Pastor Claire, you have to ask yourself, um, you know, uh, what can you control? And I think we also live in crazy times where you might have to move. Um, You know, that's something that we don't talk about too much anymore um, because, you know, in the modern world, we have the internet and we're connected to everyone. Um, We've been talking about it more lately because the U S has naturally been balkanizing, but honestly there is, uh, you know, Michael and I both uh, moved moved to the South uh, in the last few years, and I don't I don't know uh, you know your take on it, Michael. But for me, I can definitely say that there's a, a larger degree of cultural Christianity here in the South, and there yes. are larger families here sure. in the South. There is a yeah. a culture of marrying off young and having kids here, and I grew up in Washington State, and I can tell you that that culture does not translate over there. Uh, most of my yeah. friends that I know that are still single are all my friends from back west, and uh, you know here in the south, I've, I'm I'm friends of a whole bunch of married people, and there's we're at a church with a thriving college ministry, and a lot of them are getting married the moment they graduate college or before graduating college, or uh, you know whatever the case may be, and uh, there is something to be said about the culture that you surround yourself with, and even though we're all connected to the internet, sometimes you do have to actually be willing to go somewhere to find, uh, you know, yeah. you don't know, necessarily go only with the intention of finding a wife, you know, have some wisdom and, and where you choose to relocate. But, uh, yeah, if, if it might be moving churches, it might be moving across town, not necessarily moving across country. Yeah. Um, but, uh, if, if, if there's no singles at your church, because you're the, the worship pastor to this dying church full of 80 year olds, and you're just trying to give them your service, that's beautiful. But if you might need to get involved in some extracurricular activities outside of your church life in order to actually meet a single woman. Um, And, you know, you Mm -hmm. might need to find another church that has like a Saturday night service or something like that, that you can attend that has young singles. Um, uh, And, you know, just, you got to think outside the box. Um, That being said, actually, that's a great transition. Um, uh, Pastor Clary, you mentioned that uh, you're putting on an event and, uh, tell us more about that, and people will understand why it's a good transition. So, yeah,
2: um, yeah, you got to be practical. And so we, my church is hosting in Cincinnati in April a conference called Gendered Virtue, um, Men and Women Who Take Dominion. That's the tagline, but the conference is King's Domain Ministry, Gendered Virtue, Men and Women Who Take Dominion, um, and it's relevant to what you're talking about, there, Connor, in that um, because we want to talk about uh building households that last generations and it begins with finding a spouse and uh i've we've just seen it it, over and over again where people have a difficult time finding somebody but if churches can be a filter that um or conferences like in this in this case you got a conference you got joe rigney toby sumter michael foster uh shane moore so some of these names are associated with a particular tribe and if you can find a single woman or a single man at that event and I'm like okay i can assume a whole lot of things about their worldview because they're here um right. or at the are at this church and so i think churches that are that that value this can be very practically helpful in the conference itself so what we're going to do is have a uh, a singles mixer on friday night of the conference and um similar conference uh in the last year or so i had a a young man from my church he met um, a young woman at a singles mixer at a at a similar conference in town a few months ago and i uh and, you know, sometime later, I've ended up meeting their parents and the the, the wife or the uh, not the wife. They're not married yet. But um, the young woman's parents came up to me and they said, Pastor Clary, uh, my our daughter is going out with this young man in your congregation. Tell us about him." And I said, he's a wonderful man. He's a great dude. And then I was just like, they're going to make it because he's looking for the kind of woman that would have like parents that care enough to talk to the pastor of the young men that are their daughters dating, they're going to produce a certain kind of young woman. And as, as I've got, I've met her and gotten to know her and I'm like, she's exactly what you would expect. And he's a wonderful man. And I've things, uh, love is in the air. I've, I'm I'm hopeful for them, but it does happen. People meet and, and he's a guy in his thirties. So he's, he's the kind of guy you're like, Hey man, you, uh, is you going to make it happen or what? Uh, and he's been looking, but it just, um, hasn't found the right woman yet, but this woman just se- seems to be perfect for them. So this conference that we're doing, we want to walk the walk and like, Hey, we want to provide opportunities for men and women to meet. Uh, anyway, the conference is a uh, gendered virtue website is gendered April 18 to 20 of this year in Cincinnati and single men and women. Um, this would be a, a an ideal spot to, to come and maybe meet someone.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. And then go ahead and tell us uh, briefly about your book and where people can pick it up because obviously you cover singleness in the book, but you cover a whole lot more um, beyond just singleness, talking all about God's good design. And it's definitely uh, all the reviews that I've been seeing by so many great people have said that it is a a really important read. Um, So where can people go to find it and feel free to talk anything about the book that you'd like?
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh book is called God's Good Design: A Biblical, Theological and Practical Guide to Human Sexuality. Um and the the book covers a all it's basically starts with the theology of why masculinity, femininity, why God created men and women the way he did, how that reflects God's own character. Um and then how that plays out in the household and then it Deals with various aspects of household life, motherhood, fatherhood, uh, singleness, sexual morality, sexual dynamics in the church, singleness, and so forth. Um, the, but it's a it's 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 very steeped in scripture. It is there's a lot of uh, theological work that is in the book to to connect the dots and show how these things reveal God and glorify God but I try to write it at a pastoral level with a pastor's heart. Um, so the way I've spoken here this evening is um, what, what came, what comes out in the book, which is, okay, we've got this ideal uh, that is broken in the modern world and harder to achieve in the modern world. Cause we're doing it going swimming upstream. And so here's an ideal that we're striving toward, but also lots of grace and counsel for what do we do when we fall short? How do we, how do we walk towards the, um, the standard, um, recognizing that, you know, we're in a fallen world and things are going to be broken. Um, because with, with, with sexuality, you're talking about family life, some of the deepest, most personal things in our lives, uh, sources of the greatest joy and greatest pain, um, touch on, you know, they're all inter- interconnected with sexuality and family. Um, so it's a very, a lot of theology, um, but a lot of pastoral care for, for people. But I think the, the, the book presents here's a vision for what it looks like to embody the way God created men and women in the modern world. Um, and I've, I've been thrilled with the feedback I've gotten from it. Um, I've I found it, a lot of people say it's been extremely helpful to them. Uh, it's a great resource I think for pastors, but it's not written at, it's not written at a super academic level. Um, the theology is written at a, like a sermon or a Sunday school type level to where it's like it's, it's pretty easily digestible, I think, for, for ordinary readers. Um, so you can pick it up on Amazon. Um, there's an audio version on Audible. So you have the paper version, the audio uh, version, or it's on Kindle. Audible has the audio version, and I recorded that myself. And the audio version is also on Canon Plus. If you have the Canon Plus app, you can listen to it there.
0: Awesome. It's definitely well worth your guys' time, so definitely check it out. Uh, yeah, and we really appreciate all of you guys joining us. We've had uh, a lot of uh, activity in the chat. Grog, uh, uh, jetterpeg 22 uh, Michaela, Shara, Joel, um, Greg, we, we appreciate all you guys uh, sending in your chat. Sorry we couldn't get to every single one, but uh, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, feel free, for any of you uh, who consume us regularly on YouTube, um, and uh, Rumble to, of course, jump over and uh, follow us on X or Twitter at Forge and A, and uh, go ahead and follow the show as well on on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, even if you only prefer to do YouTube, it does help us out. So we really appreciate that. It just uh, boosts us and helps more people to see this podcast and hear important conversations like the one that we had tonight. So um, gentlemen, I'll turn it over to each of you to give uh, any closing thoughts. So um, Uh, Pastor Clary, anything additional that you want to plug and, uh, where can people find you to keep up with everything that you're doing?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, X, um, D, the initial D Michael Clary is my handle. And I'm also on Substack, same handle, dmichaelclary.substack.com. Um, so the, those are the two places where I'm most active. I started, uh, I have a couple podcasts, YouTube channel, the YouTube, the podcast is called Plain Speech Podcast, um, and actually, I commented on on the YouTube here from that account. Um, but there's, I, I put out videos uh, every, you know, every week or two. Um, but those are the main places you can find me. Thank you for having me on, guys. This has been a lot of fun talking about Thanks. it. I hope it's been edifying and challenging, and um, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you all. Yeah, glad to have Thank
1: you. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah. You, Michael, Michael,
0: where
1: can people find you and any closing thoughts? Well, I just started a f- robust new semester, so got lots of work cut out for me and I'll be I'll be neck deep in that for the coming months. Um, man, marriage is such a wonderful thing and when it's done within the covenant of God and not as a not just as a public institution, but within the bounds of righteousness, it is such a gratifying, wonderful thing. So I hope a lot of our listeners benefit from this conversation and seek good, righteous counsel through the scriptures and to do so rightly within the proper contexts of the text. So I guess that's my my send-off.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. Be sure to check out our Substack, .substack forgeandanvil.substack.com. We really appreciate any support, and we will see you next time.